Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. Uh, we want to thank all our listeners for all the support so far and hope the podcast has been really helpful to you on your DM journey. Uh, remember to rate us as it really helps us with exposure and getting the word out there. And check out our link tree at linktr.ee slash dmsdiscuss. We just launched a little Discord community and a TikTok at dmsdiscuss. Uh, so you can follow for more DM D&D content, tips, and tricks. Uh, enjoy the episode and may all your roles be 20s. Welcome, 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 welcome to DMs Discuss. I'm Mike. I'm Chris. And I'm Scott. Welcome to DMs Discuss, where this week DMs will discuss Dungeon Master Moments. For those of you who listened to our Halloween episode last year, you know that we love our horror and spookiness, which is why we are super excited for our guest today. Uh, on the show today, we have Jack, the Dungeon Master for the Pen and Paper Pod, a D&D 5e horror-themed campaign with Dark Souls-inspired death mechanics set in the dark world of Revan Gothica. Happy to have you on, Jack. Uh, why don't you introduce I am, yourself? I'm so excited. Yeah, no, I, uh, I'm uh, Jack. I, uh, I'm the Dungeon Master for the Pen and Paper Pod. I'm really excited to be on today with you guys. Excited to talk about some of the best moments of our, our campaign. Uh, we've been... Uh, We've been we started out uh, with our season two was the uh, our pandemic season where we that's <laughs> we got back together during the pandemic and started doing more seasons of the pen and paper pod. And we've come uh, full circle to this uh, horror themed campaign where I have learned a lot of personal lessons. And the primary <laughs> one being that my players are always more murderous than I think they are. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. When in doubt, <laughs> when in doubt, yeah. murder. Oh, hobos. my God. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, f- I find like I find that to be a bold statement because I-, I was watching kind of the first episode of the campaign and right away there's this big giant that just absolutely murders oh, somebody. <laughs> and and Jack, I was thinking like, wow, this guy's really like he really wants to stick it to his players. But then when you told me it was like kind of a Dark Souls campaign and Dark Souls, inspired, I totally got that you're kind of setting yeah. that setting that yeah. ground up. Um, <laughs> I, I really do. Yeah, I really cool. do mean to like have it be so that like players can use their deaths to their advantage. And I didn't intend. I like. I there was a we. I we had to have a genuine talk about like suicidal concepts, and it was unintentional con- you know, content that we got into because you know they're using the system to their advantage to you know kind of kite bosses and they'll sacrifice a player and do things that no one else would do it. Another, <laughs> like they they'll straight up sack. Like there's straight up last episode one like one of the the girls in our campaign savannah murdered a boss that i never intended to, for them to beat by teleporting him with her sacrificing herself by teleporting the boss into a pool of lava and i was just sitting there like what do you mean you teleport into the lava <laughs> you know and, and, and that's and i think that's the whole point of this this game for me is just um you know to to push the bit i mean i've I've obviously broken the 5e system over you know it's been broken pretty badly but i think it's the fun of exploring that and giving mechanics for my players to explore and to you know openly try to break yeah for sure i mean the rules are just guidelines right oh yeah (laughs) yeah i mean yeah we we just ran we ran strahd as like the first campaign for our pandemic campaign and it went off the rails immediately upon getting (laughs) to barovia yeah that's I, I think that's like every DM yeah. story, to be honest. I, like I, I prepped, like, I read the entire book I, I twice. I got ready to go, and then they just decided not to go to the first village. I, I also, 
it was scary. Like, That's gothic horror to begin with. Like if you're like you, you run it so much more intentionally as violent because you run yeah. it as like you want these monsters to still be scary. And that's a hard thing to translate into 5e in the system because your players are so powerful. And it's, you know, it runs against like the contrary of what it is. Sorry, I'm talking too much. Anyways, I'm really excited no, no, to be perfect. here. <laughs> no, no, that's good. Like one thing I'm curious about with, with your campaign and the campaign you're, you're running, I mean, like dark dark souls inspired death mechanics i i get that um but in terms of like difficulty and combat and storytelling like are are you like obviously dark souls and those kind of mm-hmm. games that like they're noted for their combat difficulty and just being really like uh oppressive and grindy and stuff like that so does that play into your campaign yeah as well? it does and, and in a bad way no i'm just kidding <laughs> but like i uh i uh i think that uh we've gone back and forth like I, you'll see literally in the course of the campaign you'll see me lighten up on certain mechanics like there was a weapon breaking mechanic yeah. that i just dumped because good <laughs> god you know it yeah, it, it too was much. too much and it's it's okay and i think that was like we you know i i'm fairly open about the fact that like we're not a highly polished production so like i'm going in here i was like no we're, we're playing live D, right so like yeah you know if something like there's there's a justin on our podcast was like playing a tortoise gunslinger and uh you know i i just messed up by giving him this knock ability where he could discharge you know there's like a 50 50 chance of him like blowing his hand up permanently <laughs> like but it, like but the problem is is that you know i just was not prepared for how hard justin was gonna roll dim dice at it <laughs> and he has yet to do it and it is you know and it char- discharges all five barrels of the pistol and does like a massive oh amount God. of damage it's 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 a great thing i thought oh man maybe he'll do it at a climactic moment and it'll be really cool and, and just no, blow his arm off yeah you know he's just gotten really 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 damn lucky <laughs> and i you know it's cool but like at the same time uh yeah i oh, think man. what's I think, that like oh oh him being low oh, yeah <laughs> yeah i have not i would not consider myself the same lucky but i he's yeah he's he's deathifying and i think that uh I think it's cool for them to push it. I do think one of the things that's come up is like this relationship between players and their DM and trust. And I think Revan Gothica has been one of those things that has pushed the the relationship in terms of like, you got to trust that your dungeon master wants you to win in the end. And I think that's one of the things that Gothic horror is difficult to do. And, and I think call of Cthulhu as well, like mm-hmm. where it's like, it's really difficult to create a Gothic horror atmosphere where something's hunting you and to not like, push upon the trust of your players because it's it becomes this whole thing you know where it's like yeah i i think yeah i think those settings like just to some degree like they have to be a little unfair and a little oppressive like i think i think just to create that atmosphere um i think things have to be a little tilted towards that like you're at a disadvantage here and that's why it's scary oh yeah um so yeah Yeah. i get that it's yeah it's been a lot of fun and the one thing I liked about kind of watching that that episode as well and kind of go through it is like the, your players like species, like uh, and, oh, yeah. and like their backgrounds, like genie, undead, turtle, shifter, elf, wolf, <laughs> which is like, you know, a typical I, D&D party. But I thought that I was definitely cool. see a variant human and I'm like, try again. You know, I'm, I'm like, I don't I don't, like, I, I don't want to say I push players away from it, but I, I definitely am very typical about like, I'll give you a feat if that's why you're taking variant human. Like, tell me what your story is and like, let's work to that end. You know, yeah, I love like that. I. And 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 yeah, I, that's sure. the thing. I I figured I, I there was a home game I was playing with four players, and I ended up with four variant humans, and I was like, you know, and like it, I was just like, why why are we you know 
the human supremacist over here. Like, what's happening? Like, why is this happening? And it's because, you know, I think that some of the new uh, the new D&D one rules are actually kind of cool in the context yeah. of that, because they really should take away, you know, like, you know, score the race shouldn't I, and I, I think is i come from it from a different direction i think a lot of people are talking about racism as the reason not to do this but i think it's a me- really good mechanical reason not to do it i think your background should decide more of your character yeah 100 the race because because oh, yeah, it, it always ends oh, in this thing i was like i want people to play elves and dwarves and all this other stuff and engage with the lore and not give me the 13th variant human with like because they really need the great weapon yeah. master feet because yeah. it's really not probably <laughs> you really can't play a barbarian I mean, without it, it so you know. Yeah, I mean, you're kind of talking to somebody who's played like a an an orc dex fighter. So Ooh. like, I, yeah, it's like I, I think the, the whole notion of the mechanical advantage, like push players in one direction. So I like what they're doing, like with decoupling that. And I thought I just thought the spread of your players was kind of cool and interesting. Yeah, yeah. you got to I have to admit they have I, 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 I am a little bit. So we play a home game with a lot of those people as well. And uh I, I hate to say that like in a in a recent past they've all come up with even better characters one of my favorites is karina who plays the uh, live on the podcast uh, she came up with this plasmoid sorcerer called uh, the whoopsie <laughs> and it's just it's just my favorite <laughs> D character anyone has ever That's made <laughs> it's just because it's just it's essentially just flubber and it's the concept is like and she just, she like leans into the wild magic table it's like whoopsie like and she and you know it's it, just imagine this girl playing this at a table like whoopsie like and it's it's it works so well and i think it's i i really you know i think one of the things is like i i always feel like one of my be- favorite things about working with them is like i always feel like i'm so much creatively less than them <laughs> like i create like I, I i created this hacky ass world and then they go and like put their heart and soul into it and it really makes it really cool yeah, for sure. It's always fun when players have things that are like that. Like Chris in one of in the straw game that we played, played uh, a tabaxi uh, like monster hunter <laughs> named Rick per bell meow. Oh, I love it. I, I see where this is going. OK, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty perfect. I was terrified of werewolves, yeah. <laughs> which there happened to be a ton of in this world. It was great. Yeah, and I was playing a werewolf. <laughs> yeah, he was playing shifter, so it was, uh, it was a, great. A, a secret, a secret shifter. Like my my goal was never to shift in front of Rickper. Uh, and the one time I did, uh, he was about to kill me, <laughs> but he couldn't. Oh, yeah, I he left ran the party. Off. Yeah, we, yeah. We, werewolves. Werewolves yeah. are such a fun D and D drop because you just. We had this moment in our campaign in Revan where there there was just a child werewolf. They come upon oh, a, no. a, a wagon. There's their parents are dead, and there's just a child there who has a bite mark, a wolf bite mark, and they're in a gothic horror setting. And they, like, like I think it was like five of the six players was like, "Oh yeah, kill the child. You know, he's gonna turn into a werewolf. We can't deal <laughs> with well. this." And I was like, I, "It was one of those moments where I was, I got really concerned because I was like, what do you mean, kill the child? Like, I I mean, I thought one person would bring it up. I didn't think all five people, and there would be a vote to like maybe you know child murder on like the third episode. That's yeah. Was, well, I mean, yeah, that's uh, when, uh... so in the Strahd game, uh, they went to investigate a uh, a windmill, found out it was inhabited by hags, went back later in the campaign, knowing that the hags were stealing children and just fireballed in through the windows. We, we didn't know there were still yes, children you did. there. I mean, in yeah, defense, you, you could infer that they still had children. <laughs> I, that's uh, mistakes, mistakes, mistakes. From <laughs> Look, that's that's that's. I, I, 
do you guys like what do you refer to those moments? Because like I always refer to those as like the Matt Mercer goldfish moments when a player has so desperately misunderstood the thrust of the game. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's like I always call them goldfish moments because it's like it's like what, what was it? it was Kalith when she jumped off a cliff just mm-hmm. not realizing the cliff was like a thousand feet. You yeah, she turned into a goldfish not realizing exactly. she was still gonna yeah. die. Yeah, <laughs> I ended a campaign with a goldfish moment once, and it was the most brutal thing that has ever <laughs> happened to me. Uh, oh my, my player destroyed the world, not understanding what was happening because he had gone to the bathroom and I was in the middle of an emotional moment on a Zoom call with another player. And he says, so this is Trevor in, in season three. He had gone to the bathroom, missed a couple of very important points, but none of us realized that he had missed them, came back and was like, I break the seal. And I, <laughs> yeah, I was like, what? And then we're all like trying to talk him out of it. And he's like, no, I made a decision. Let's go with it. And it was, it, and that's how the campaign ended where he like destroyed <laughs> the whole world. Um, Jeez. I, and then only later did I realize that he really didn't like understand what was happening. And that's, you know, I didn't, it's, I tried to explain it to him at the time. Like I tried to stop and be like, Hey, stop, let's take a step back. Here's your, the consequence of your choices. But it is, it is difficult at times with players and you want to like have that immediacy. And for me, when he was like, no, I made this decision. This is my character. I'm making this decision right now. Don't stop me, Jack. <laughs> like, stop trying to editorialize. <laughs> stop trying to steal my character from me. I did this. And he was like very gung ho. And I was like, okay, <laughs> you know, and that, yeah. it happens. And I think, well, I think it's go ahead. Sorry. No, it's good. I was going to say, I think that's the perfect transition point to uh, maybe the first of our moments. Uh, it, the, the consequences of actions and the destroying of worlds. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so in our current Wednesday campaign, um, I, for the first time, like I've been DMing for a very long time, but I, for the first time, actually got to run Tiamat. Holy shit. Sorry. Uh, so basically we're, we're moving into like a spell jamming arc where they're going to be traveling around through, uh, wild space and whatnot to track down some things. Um, but one of the first things they had to do was, uh, go because Archon, cause we're playing in Exandria, Archon was, uh, attempting to, uh, resummon Tiamat. So yeah. they come, they start the fight with Archon. There's a whole group of cultists at a cave entrance chanting. They get there, they throw two fireballs at the cultists in the back. And there was a wall of force up around them when the fight first started. So the two fireballs like glance off a shield around them and they just started the fight with Archon and just forgot about the cultists. So 10 rounds go by. They kill Archon. They kill the two dragons he has with him. Uh, They like figure out that, uh, you know, they're pretty much done in that area. And then they just hear a wailing from the cave as just a 300 foot cone erupts from the cave, killing all of the cultists who had just still been there chanting behind a wall of force the whole time. Um, so I got to run Tiamat after that, um, which I, was, sorry, go ahead. No, I was about to say, I'm slightly intimidated by that. Like Tiamat <laughs> is like, sorry, no, like it's funny to me, like what is like a, like a DM, like, you know, like a flex, like, and I'm not saying you're flexing, I'm saying, but like, it is like interesting to me is like when somebody tells me they just ran Tiamat in combat, I'm like, damn, that's a lot of. That's a lot of text there, bud. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's a lot. That's, that's a, that's a yeah. CR 30. That's a that's an intense <laughs> creature to run. Like, I'm just so wow. You know, I'm impressed. You know, I'm sorry. Uh, think, yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, <laughs> yeah, it's and- it's an incredible thing to run. Like, it's a very fun fight. But it is like you said, it is a lot of text. And it was actually more text than that. Because what I was going to do was use the new aspect of Tiamat that was oh, released with yeah. Fizzbands. 
yeah. Because uh, I had her basically like phase in and like blink into existence and start walking towards them. Uh, but they had just finished fighting Archon and a couple of like Dracoliches. So they were like, well, we're probably not going to take on Tiamat basically almost dead already. So she came out and there was a round where she could have maybe killed them all, but they rolled decently well and a couple people were behind rocks and stuff. Uh, so they held a plane shift and uh, everybody got within range and they plane shifted out right as her turn was coming back up and she was getting ready to breathe again. Uh, and the whole party plane shifted out. So then I gave her essentially the 24 hours that they left and they went and they got their rest while Tiamat kind of started terrorizing the villages around the area. Uh, and when they came back, they had to fight the full like original Tiamat stat block. Yeah. Sorry, Johnny. You, you, yeah. my, like they, the, they needed a long rest. That's why you're dead. I'm so sorry. <laughs> that's why all these villages are gone. That's why yeah, they're all I'm so dust. sorry. Yeah. I was, I was going to say 24 hours of letting Tiam out like alone on the mortal plane. Like that, that, that was a, that's a fun character moment. Yeah, but you they know were, I mean? they were sweepy. Well, we, we had no, I, I think it was much more than sweepy. We were, we were fucking yeah. terrified. Like the, the problem with that was that, um, so I missed a session before that. So when I came in, we were already sort of when I came in, like Tiamat kind of spawned at that point. And uh, this was like total TPK. Like we would have all died in that in that aspect. Oh, 100%. Fight. Uh, so my character is the one who like plane shifted us to the Feywild. It was either that or TPK. Um, so, yeah, after being in the Fey for a bit and then plane shifting back, we were able to track Tiamat down and then kind of re-engage this fight. But for those of you who are like listening and you're like, you know, if you haven't heard the word Tiamat, this is the like fucking mother of evil dragons. Yeah. Five headed dragon, different elements, immune to various elemental damage. Um, well, immune to all elemental damage, I think, except for maybe thunder. And yeah, force. no thunder. Yeah, she's uh, not immune yeah, to thunder. Yeah, no she's not immune to force. But um, yeah, but like fire, ice, yeah. Uh, yeah. Pieces, acid, acid, like cold, fire, you, lightning, poison, dragon lance, cucks. No, I'm just joking. I don't know why. <laughs> I, I love. By the way, I'm like a huge dragon lance fan. I don't. I want to put that out there. I'm so sorry. <laughs> like, I, like, I read like I think, all the novels. I'm so well, sorry. I think my favorite part of this though is that this party has two warlocks in it. Oh, and yeah. uh, for those that don't know. Tiamat is actually immune to all magic below sixth level. Yep. So when you, you have warlocks who Gross. all of their slots are essentially fifth level, except for their arcanums. Okay. Let's, um, I don't want to get into the grittiness of this. How do you guys, so like the classic monster that we talk about with that has magic, you know, like it, it immunity is like a rock Shasha or in like, sorry, I can't ever say, I will never be able to say the word rock Shasha correctly i'm so sorry i'm like physically <laughs> incapable of it i'm a dumb southerner with a fat tongue and i can't say rock shush. I, I swear to god anyways moving close. on uh, that's fine i i will use them in a campaign because i love the creature and the concept but i won't use them because i can't say, say the they're something different in your setting it's fine no i skin it i always you're exactly right i always skin the creature as something else and it's funny yeah. i don't know why i can't say the word anyways but the point is is like what do you think about magic immunity in the context of dnd 5e because we're we're talking about like there's a lot of stuff coming in with one e sorry i was saying dnd one and all this other yeah. stuff coming in what do you guys think about like kind of gating because that's always one of the things that i think is like all creatures like all parties can hit above their weight limit until they hit like something like that which is like a true cap where it's like you literally have no magic then it can affect this creature yeah so for me 
Um, there was like they have a barbarian, and the barbarian was their essential meat shield. I feel like I would balance the fight differently. Um, based on like if they didn't have the ability, like I probably wouldn't have used Tiamat as one of the things in this campaign if they if I didn't think they had a shot at killing it. Yeah, which is to say you have like six players, right, or something. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we have six players. There's yeah, like I mean, uh, a wizard, a barbarian, uh, a bard, yeah. two oh, warlocks. Yeah. So like they have enough magic to take her down. And also, uh, my, I think my favorite part of this fight was the fact that like they survived almost solely because um, they had just gotten their spell jamming ship and they decided oh, to just yeah. fucking skewer the dragon with the front of their ship. Uh, I I rolled a d twenty. I, I I rolled a crit to to basically bash the ship into oh, Tiamat and and we do brutal criticals so it was like 250 something yeah it was like 255 oh, damage yeah. of just like getting scared yes. by the ship yeah the ship really carried that's, us that's that's <laughs> that's like a third of Tiamat that's the way I mean and I hate to say as a DM that's like the way to do that kind of encounter right like yeah. give them a cool set piece that does a shitload of damage that's like the way to handle that in my yeah, and I mean, and the barbarian was on the ship, so it was like they skewered her with the ship, and then she's kind of held in position, yeah, right, with the barbarian on the ship, now able to attack, like that kind of stuff. So it and was then, uh, it was a the, really cool moment, but like running a creature that has that kind of action economy was fucking nuts. Yeah, I, 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 it is. I'm, I'm not again. I like my entire bit is like I'm impressed because like Vecna and Tiamat are like the creatures like at the like the the challenge rating 30 cap that like starts to get into like a ridiculous territory like like every time i see even even matt mercer running like i forget when he ran vecna like he didn't use a lot yeah he didn't use a lot of the stuff apparently he even talked about it at some point i think where he was like you just run out of stuff and it's it's one of those difficult dm things where it's like you know and i think this is like a matt colville thing where he talks about it where it's like limiting the um, the things that creature can do is like a really cool way and just like spreading it out and being creative about it but like having a plan and i think it's much more better than like giving a stat block of spells to like a dm yeah that's why i like the aspect of tiamat actually like the aspect that came in with fizzbands is pretty cool because it has a limited amount of things that it can do like instead of like so for the tiamat stat block there is a different bite and a different breath with every head yeah which is and they take different amounts of actions so like she has five legendary actions every turn and you can either bite for one action or use the breath from any one of the five heads for two actions each but you can't do you can't use the same head twice per turn so like you can't breathe with the black head, then bite with the black head. You like you have to spread right. that stuff out. But you can essentially either do five bites, which do a shit ton of damage. They're plus nineteen to hit. They're forty ten plus ten slashing, and another forty six of whatever the yeah. element is of the head. So like it's just so much stuff. And then she also gets a reaction for every turn, not every round. So yeah. if people are flying around and getting in and out of her reach constantly. She can basically take a reaction on everybody's turn. I mean, this That's this is it. my thing about this kind of character, though. Like, if I'm going to optimize this character and, like, go in there and, like, really figure out the mechanics of it, I can wipe any party, you know, at the end of the day. 
right? Yeah. Like if you really, that's my, that's, and I'm not I'm trying to, obviously you have players in this chat and I, just, I feel really sorry about oh, suggesting that you could have wiped them the team out of it. I don't want to be. <laughs> oh, I 100% mean. could no, have. I, mean, I know I could here's have. Here's the thing, right? <laughs> here's the thing, right? Like I think it's what you talked about before where you have to have some level of trust. In your yeah. Team, obviously, because as a DM at any point, you could like, oh, a meteor falls on you guys. You just take 100 D100, yeah. right? So it's like, you know, Mike and Mike, Chris and I have been playing together for a while where we kind of have that trust. Like we know yeah. that Mike's not going to throw something at us. That's impossible. There are challenges. There are like monsters yeah. that are difficult. Um, and we like it's obvious sometimes that Mike will like hold back a little bit in certain moments, which I, I think is OK, because like we're there to have fun. Uh, we do kind of play a little bit more of a narrative game. So, which is um, the kind of game you should be playing, so yeah. in my opinion. I mean, and this is yeah. this is like yeah. the classic. I, mean, I I fall hard on the role play side. I'm sorry if I wanted to do like grindy mechanics based D and D TRTRPG play, I would play WoW. You know what I mean? I like. Yeah. I'm always. I'm so sorry that I'm that way. Like, yeah. you know, I'm the ex theater kid, so I'm sitting here like I was like, yeah, I I came here to role play and like watch this dragon level oblivion come at my face, you know. But I want to still be able to do it, and I and I think that's the whole point i i just yeah sorry i'm looking at the sorry i i apologize i've been like looking at the like the classic tiamat stat block for like a minute yeah. here and i'm like this is a mess this is like a huge mess yeah this thing is stupid and it's it's funny to me i i don't know but i yeah no that that sounds cool i'm so sorry i'm talking too much again no it's all no, good it's man. all good i mean like we like i think part of uh i think part of the fun is like we just kind of play to to have that social experience get together once a week or, yeah. you know, on a regular cadence and just kind of have fun together. And we kind of trust Mike to, to basically like kind of, kind of guide us in that way. And like, um, even though there are things that are challenging, like this was very much TPK territory, yeah. but, yeah. uh, we were able to kind of get away with it, but, uh, you know, some of us play to have fun, but Chris plays to win, which is kind of going into my moment. This, where... Is there, is there, is there so, a Sorlock in the mix? Is that, is that true? Uh, no, I, no, my previous character was a Sorlock. I fucking love that. Oh, yeah. But anyways, uh, Chris plays to win. So basically what happened was with this campaign, uh, we're just a group of adventurers. We're playing Call of the Nether Deep, we're playing kind of, uh, the Exandria. Yeah uh scenarios and at, at the first part we were kind of going through um just these memories of this like fallen god deity I, i'm not he sure was what the protector. Was, but okay so we were kind of living through some of the memories of this and backtracking trying to figure out what happened to this person um and one of our party members was terry and terry was uh, Chris's character, and he was the guard of Princess Annabelle, who was another character of ours. This little girl, uh, based on one of the player's daughters, who wore a dress like pretty things, talked to animals, and shot spells out of her hands or out of well, her wand or whatever. Uh, but anyways, Terry had sworn his allegiance to Princess Annabelle. But Terry's backstory was essentially that uh, he was part of... Well, Chris, I mean, it's your character, yeah. so how about you jump in with Terry's backstory here? <laughs> Well, essentially, uh, originally born as terrible, uh, he lived with a bunch of kobolds inside a warren that eventually was uh, attacked by a bunch of people, and his whole family was like wiped out. Uh, and so he stole, you know, he took this precious family heirloom of, of his tribe, which was like a, a shiny multicolored rock with him, and then eventually met this little girl, her unicorn, and he became decided he'd be her knight. And the egg hatched into a dragon 
because uh, I was doing uh, Drake Warden Ranger. Oh, yeah. And so I just like the deal. Like, they're both two little kids, uh, and he's a knight who is an actual dragon, and she's a princess whose patron was a unicorn. Oh, I love it. Uh, so we're actually far more powerful than any 10-year-old should be. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so as as a campaign goes along, right? Terry gets introduced to us with with Princess Annabelle, and Terry has this little dragon with him. He's, as he said, he's playing a a Drake Warden, a Kobold uh, Drake Ranger. Warden Ranger. Oh my god! Yeah, so, yeah, I love it. I'm so sorry. <laughs> so he gets this little dragon with him, and uh, I don't remember what color Tandri was, but anyways, it changed over depending the, on the element. You're you're basically okay, so doing over the like co- a like a like a Mandalorian with you have like you taking care of this egg and that sort of thing with like a cobalt. I I love that's a that's fun imagery right there. <laughs> so yeah, over the course of the game, what ends up happening is like. Uh, I was playing a, a dragon-based character as well, like a dragon humanoid. Not not dragonborn, but I was a fae-like, dragon-like creature. Um, and over the course of the game, we just dragons kept coming up. And uh, Terry would talk about how his tribe, and he, he was looking for like his long-lost tribe, and he wasn't really sure, but he's heard stories about this dragon and the mother and things sky like mother. that. Sky um, mother. The Sky Mother, mm. and over the course of the game, like as players, we knew Terry's angle, but as characters, we didn't. So our characters were playing into this, like, oh, well, like we'll help you find your tribe, or we'll help you find this stuff. And and over the course of the game, like I ended up on my bard taking uh, summon draconic spirit, and I would summon different elements, like different dragon elements. And we we were saying like, man, if we ever like summon like all five <laughs> elements, like we're gonna summon Tiamat. <laughs> so over the course of the game just naturally like out of character we knew what we were doing in character there was sort of this lean towards just having various dragon elements on the field and just having different various yeah. dragon elements come up and then uh <laughs> and then eventually we get to this point where there are cultists chanting and we're in we're in this fight with the aspect of tiamat and the sky mothers returned and at this point terry had left already right like Terry had left the party because Annabelle had to leave. So Terry was her protector. So, and her knight. So he decided to leave as well. And we do that in our campaigns. We kind of swap characters when, we no, it's like smart. It's of. really smart. If you're done with the yeah. character, you should move on. And so I, I always say that too, because yeah. like, if yeah. you're like, Oh, I'm tired. Like we, I, this is the thing that happened that people that actually, this is the first time. Sorry. I don't want to interrupt your story. Go on. I have a story to get. No, no, keep no going. Keep in, in our third season, I had a, uh, Edwin was playing a character who was a fan favorite called Chuck Angus. And people love Chuck Angus because he was an idiot, but, uh, Edwin <laughs> himself was amazing at puzzles. And so I just went a little bit stir crazy, making like, crazy ass puzzles that he would solve in about 25 seconds to the point that the rest of the party was like, what the fuck is this Minotaur doing this? Like, you know, six intelligence Minotaur, <laughs> like how is it solving the puzzle? And the Minotaur just turns to him and like, and Ed's Ed's hilarious. And he just says, he just deadpans. It's like Minotaur public education. You should look into it, you know? And it's, <laughs> it became this like joke that actually like had a little bit of a life on Twitter. And, and I mean, a very small, like we're, we have a very small audience, but it had a little bit of a life on Twitter where it was like Minotaur public education. And everybody was talking and it was fun. He, based the character off a boss that he worked for that he (laughs) found hilarious. But during the pandemic shit got real for him to the point that he started to hate this person. 
And then he decided that he's like, I got to kill this character off. I was like, I was like, which was like legit. Like he was like, ah, I just, you know, I'm just like, cha- he's channeling a person in his life that that relationship soured. And to some extent, I really respected that, you know, like he's like, he's like, he's being an asshole to me right now. So like, I need to stop this yeah. and I need to just do that and move on for this thing. And I was like, yeah, hundred percent. Why would, why would we ever have a question of that? I, that was the yeah. moment that hurt me the most because, like, personally, I love Chuck Angus. Like, I was, he was, he's just a beefy boy, you know what I mean? And he was just a beefy boy that, like, and he, I just, I love this, like, back and forth with the rest of the party because, like, you know, we had a rogue and a warlock and they, and it was a three person party for season three. And, and, and again, it was Beyond Evil was our season three, which is a villains campaign. So they're all individually evil. And that's why he picked his boss, right? Like, cause he picked his boss cause he's like an evil person in my life. I'll base it off that, which was clever. I liked it, but then it just got too real for him, which I think is like, you know, why would you ever play in a situation where something's like hurting you? Like the whole point of this game is that we have fun. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I think that's kind of where we like where we like we have the same mindset where sometimes a character is just done and we're not having fun with it anymore. Or we feel like I know I, I've kind of switched characters mid campaign and things like that just because I feel their arc was done. What I wanted to accomplish with the character was done. They've achieved some sort of goal. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting because at some point, like I was actually going to switch off Andorra, my bard, because I had said that basically Terry almost got killed. Uh, so Andorra was like super shocked. This is her first time kind of trying to deal with like somebody dying, somebody that she was supposed to like support and protect and help. Um, so she decided to just run away. And I told Mike, like, yeah, I'm going to switch characters. I'm kind of bored. But the caveat being <laughs> that if Terry ever comes back, like she thought he was dead. But if he ever comes back, then Andorra would return. Right. So Andorra's packing up all her stuff, ready to go. And then like, uh, Mike notifies the party like Andorra is nowhere to be seen and whatever. I think I might have left a letter, something like that. And then Terry just grabs his sending stone like, hey, Andorra, where are you? <laughs> and then it's like, oh, fuck, I guess I'm staying on this character. He <laughs> a sending stone to me. I was like, oh, I'll, I'll just call her. Yeah, I'll just call her. It's fine. <laughs> I'm, I'm alive. Where, where are yeah. you? <laughs> yeah. So I told Mike, I'm like, well, I, I told the party, well, like, oh, shit, I was switching characters today, but. Yeah, all right, yeah. I guess I'm still yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess we're going again. Like Twenty minutes <laughs> outside the city gate. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, basically, Andorra, Andorra ran to... off and aggroed a thing that then petrified Terry, and they weren't sure how to unpetrify. Yeah. Him. And so Andorra just kind of like, oh. But anyways, coming back to the original story. So throughout the campaign, we we're like summoning like various dragon elements and things like that. And then at one point, Terry left to kind of go with Annabelle, and then we start hearing like rumors and stuff like that about the sky mother and things like that and basically throughout the campaign because we were always joking about tiamat and five colored dragons and summoning different dragons and some of our players like i took summon draconic spirit strictly for the flavor of summoning an additional elemental dragon it wasn't even like a spell i wanted but i just thought it was funny that we were all kind of pushing for tiamat <laughs> so eventually we kind of get to this point where we have the cultist the aspect to tiamat and all of that and then we had to plane shift <laughs> away because that fight was a little too much and then 24 hours we plane shift back and then go track down like the actual like fully corporeal tiamat i guess and uh <laughs> so the cultist chant and then tiamat kind of bursts out and chris goes 
uh, hey, Mike, check this message I'm sending you on Discord. <laughs> yeah, which is very inside. What, <laughs> what, what Chris linked to Mike was a message sent over a year ago that says Terry's win condition is summoning Tiamat. So, uh, Chris, Chris won D and D. Essentially, hey, yep. <laughs> it took him a year I of sent planning. It as a spoiler but, message hey. started the campaign literally before <laughs> session one. As a spoiler message in Discord, he sent uh, Terry's win condition is Tiamat gets summoned somehow. <laughs> but it was just cool. I liked it as a moment because I just think it was funny that all the players were kind of pushing for it. And I've kind of heard this notion of DMs not not really having a a BBG or Big Bad Evil thing or whatever. Oh, I can't. I, um, I and just kind of letting genuinely the players guide can't that. Can't imagine not having like even for one shots. Like I have like I, I go. Please continue. Yeah. I'm so sorry, but like yeah, like I just it's <laughs> always fun. Like I feel like it, it it focuses the party and it also just puts their iron. No, no. Person. What I mean was, what I mean is, I think if you're playing that sort of like hunting campaign, culminating mm. into killing a a Big Bad Evil thing. I, I've I've heard DMs do it two ways. One is that they know what that's going to be and they write the campaign around it. The other one is that they take this more laid back approach of just having things happen and the party will tend to gravitate towards a certain yeah. thing. And it's like, oh yeah, that's their big bad evil thing. So in this campaign, like Mike kind of picked up on like, oh, these guys are really gravitating towards Tiamat showing up. And Tiamat isn't by any means the end of the campaign, but it definitely was kind of the end of this this arc and uh, apparently Chris's win condition. Yeah. So Chris won D and D that <laughs> the, day. The, the most evil thing a DM said to me, and he had the same mindset. I'll, I'll keep his name off air, David. Uh, but uh, <laughs> the uh, he said to me, he's like, y'all make your own problems. That's yeah. my goal. He's like, you are going to track down an evil guy and most likely your actions in tracking him down is going to make him an existential threat, <laughs> you know, like yeah. and that's 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 and, and then you feel the ownership like that. That's a, like a classic DM move. You feel the ownership of that threat because, you know, you fucked up in the foreground because you were paying attention to that particular threat. Let the let the let the party always pick who their who their bbeg is and and it's one of those things too it's like one one of the some of the most rewarding things i've ever done as a dm where it was like a party got pissed off by like a random npc and i just and i just i just pivoted so hard into that like i had this (laughs) i had this home campaign where it was this this creature there was this uh this concept for society that i had called the heavy metal council which was like this concept where you know Basically, the human kingdoms went to shit, killing each other. And like the, the a, a group of ancient metallic dragons that who are lawful good stepped in to create this thing called the council state where they run a council and they, you know, essentially are dictatorially controlling the state. And it's like, cool. And it was one of those things where it's like, but there, there's essentially a, di- a dictatorship. And it's it, 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 it's funny to me because like you know but I, they have all these like positive things where they were keeping humans but they obviously have no respect for humans in some extent yeah and it was one of those things where it's like you know i just had them as background flavor for what was essentially going to be my tmr combat campaign where the, <laughs> the evil dragons came back but like my players just could not fucking get over the fact that like it and it was like kind of a like it wasn't even like something i really thought about right like i just said oh yeah they're they're running the state and it's like well do humans have like you know a a 
a, an elected official. And like, I was like, no, I mean, they're just running it because they have no respect for you. And they just latched onto that. And I just, you know, I pivoted and made the whole campaign eventually about like this evil copper dragon. And he wasn't evil, but he was like, he had like our, you know, the, the means, you know, merit yeah. the evil I'm going to do. Ha 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 ha. And it was, <laughs> and I'm, and I'm, I'm not gonna lie. An ancient copper dragon final fight is like one of the coolest final fights I've actually ever run in a campaign. Yeah. And it's, and I think it's one of those things where it's like, they could see how he got there. And, and I think it was a fun character and it was one of those, it was one of the first times that I like decided that like, you know, I agree with them as like, a, like your villain needs to always think that they're right, you know? And I think it's more fun when they have the, the, like sort of the, the ages of like societal rightness on their side as well. Cause it makes them feel like it makes, it makes your heroes feel like rebels and it's cool. Yeah. It's always cool to feel like a rebel, you know? Yeah, no, for sure. And that that's, I think that's been my favorite thing of like, letting them make their own problems is my favorite thing about DMing. Cause what I typically tend to do is I will start running like a pre-made module and then wherever the pre-made module usually ends from there forward, I will create my own arc based on what happened in the module and like the next, the ongoing arc and how uh, you resolve it, who the new BBEG becomes when the original arc right. is resolved is all basically based around all of the shit that they did in the campaign. So right. we did this Exandria thing, and as the Exandria thing is winding down, uh, like the end boss essentially of the Exandria thing is this guy who uh, was instrumental in um, like the founding essentially and the protection of Exandria from Groomsh. I was like, all right, well, cool. You guys fucked with him. Now deal with all the betrayer gods because that's who he was built to protect. Oh boy. Yeah, so he was built to <laughs> protect Exandria yeah. against. So now, essentially, but if anybody asks, so good. if anybody asks, we, we didn't blow <laughs> up the moon. Yeah, so they, they, they killed the Apotheon, which essentially cracked open one of the two moons of Exandria, unleashing Groomsh. But then the Groomsh problem kind of goes away because the new BBEG of the campaign is this like thing that I've made up, which is like a, a god that is the, uh, the tool of the prime deities. That was essentially yeah. a thing that they made up to help them combat the betrayers. So now the party has to go fight all the betrayers, essentially. Yeah. So no, yeah, it's I, fun. I, that's that's awesome. And, 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 and like to say is like that's the adventure zone classic where like you know they they run that they run Fandolin and then they immediately like pivot to like everything <laughs> to like a yeah. much wilder campaign. And I love I love it. I think it's the way to do it. I also think you're right in that like it's always better to let a player live in that character for a bit in a safe space and then move to the real thing. Cause you watch the, like one of the things I think is something that I did wrong about Revan is that, you know, they found their footing in the characters in the middle of like a, a pretty harsh environment. And it's one of those yeah. things where it's like, it triggered them to become very harsh characters and it's hard. It's hard now to like push for like, you know, non, yeah, I think that's one of the things. I think they're very self-motivated and it's just because of their own survival instincts that took over while they were surviving dark soul space mechanics. And that's fair. You know, that's yeah. a fair thing. Uh, yeah, it's that's a fair. fair. To, it's one of those things. It's one of those things I was recognizing and I thought said to myself as I was like, do I not understand this element of my party? And I'm like, no, I completely do. Like I've 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 not harsh the mellow so much, but it, like I pushed them in a direction and they naturally went there. 
and it happens, you know, it, it happens. You don't, people don't want to talk about it, but to some extent, yeah, like a hundred percent when you are pushing a party in a certain direction or giving them a certain adventure, it shapes them. And yeah, to some extent, I think you're completely right. Starting somebody off with a basic adventure allows them to find themselves first and then keep that sense of self when they move into a proper campaign. A hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, so of yeah. all of the stuff so, that you've done with Revan and with the other seasons of pen and paper, uh, do you have a moment for us? Like that is the moment that you really kind of want to focus in on and talk about. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah, I got, I got one. Uh, this right. is the one that broke my brain. Uh, this is the one where my players and it's not it's, it's I'm, I'm sorry, I, I, I probably don't talk about my own campaigns in a very positive light. I think it likes, it's like a negative element of me as a DM. Like I try to I, I'm hypercritical of both myself and my own campaign. And it's like one of those things where my players have to like constantly reassure me. It's not a good thing about me. I'm needy, you know, <laughs> I'm just going to own up to it. Right. Like I am. Oh, what I are. Am. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like being a DM is, is, is an exercise in neediness to some extent, but it's, <laughs> like, you know, it's, it's, it, I'll own it. You know, it's fine. But my point is, is like, you know, there was this thing in the first part of the campaign where they dealt this and my, my resurrection system works that uh, they have sanity that's equal to their wisdom modifier times five. And then every time you die, you lose 10 sanity. And then if you lose all of your sanity, you go comatose, which is like true death and rev and Gothica. Like, and there's, and that's the cool thing is that they run into all these other uh, past adventurers who have been revived in Revan and have gone insane. So there's like an, a sanatorium where they're all just like sort of at, and they're all comatose essentially which is dark to begin with. And that's yeah. sort of the thrust of this campaign. Uh, but, you know, one of the things that happened early on is like they have other, there's other characters there that are also outlanders, which is to say that they can also be revived, which is also just an amazing thing to have a villain that can be revived, by the way, guys. <laughs> so like, it's, it's like, that's my favorite thing about Revan. It's like, you know, if, if the char- the characters have like murked, a main villain like twice and it's it's like it's really fun in that way but moving back to the point is they did this thing where they explained to me in 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 gruesome detail what a weenus is which is the <laughs> part of your elbow that you can't feel and it and what happens is like so my resurrection system works is that if you put bl- your blood into holy water when you die, you get resurrected either through water or fire. And so what happens is that there's these holy water sites and they drop the blood into the water and that's how they resurrect. And I did this thing where it's like, they had this whole concept where it's like, how do we kill outlanders permanently that are like, you know, we have to keep resurrecting him and killing him. So what they did is they just, they made wells and then they put the grape beneath the water line of the well so that, and then they would just force them to resurrect inside the well and keep resurrecting over and over again as they drowned. And that was like a really, really dark use of the system that they figured out. <laughs> what I didn't realize is the ways in which my and I, and I, I it's one of those things in retrospect, I completely showed them the system <laughs> like what was going to happen. I outlined it. They were going to Farrington, which was like the first starting village. And I showed them the well with the person that was comatose in it because they just threw him in there and he kept reviving until he drowned and lost all his sanity. And that was my point. I was like, I, I was trying to establish, you know, 
just because you guys have extra lives does not mean that you can't get captured and get fucked up real bad. So you need to still respect society, which is what I was trying to establish before they got to Fandolin. Little did I know <laughs> that they were going to take this thing in a massively different direction, which is the they, they encountered, uh, you know, one of the, the party members characters who hates one of the they, there's a rival to this thing. And, it's, you know, this is. You know, Tanner's character, who is a warlock, and he the entire design of the build is just to to see he's a he's an eldritch sniper. So he shoots as far as possible and he took every feat possible to make him shoot farther. That's the whole aim of the build. And he has this rival elf bowman who's also a sniper and they go back and forth between each other and they're both snipers. And that's the that's their whole underlying character arc, which is which is fun. But they he they encounter in a bar and he's like, I'll duel you later. And he's doing this classic. He's like, I'll see you on the field type of deal. And he turns <laughs> around and one of the other characters stabs him in the weenus to take his blood. And then they <laughs> leave town and go to the well and then just resurrect him over and over again, murdering him. Wow. And it was one of those moments I just was not prepare like i you know it's one of those things where it's just like stop taking my toys that i built for myself for the horror like and that's the thing it's like it's it, it's just one of those things where it's like players adjust to your own world and it's one of those things where it's like i'm gonna horrify them by having all these horrible things but i gave them the mechanical tools and so they just turn around and started using them against me and it was one of those things where i was like i genuinely was not prepared for that i also was genuinely not prepared for them to like slowly drown a man over and over and over again that was like that, that was like oh, a yeah. lot Right. Like it was like it was one of those moments where I was like I was sitting there. I was like smiling and we were running the campaign. I was like, oh, holy God, what have I done? I was so concerned. I was so fucking concerned. And they've done other things since then that are even worse. And I That's just a problem when you run a campaign for sociopaths. I love them. I love that. Like, look at this <laughs> terrible, terrible thing. Wait, why are you writing it down? <laughs> I, that was that. Was, I mean, it's like there's nothing again. I, I respect my players for finding the holes and, and going to them. That's what you should do in a mechanical system. That's why Sorlocks are popular. Popular. Yeah. I just, I, I think that like, I guess this was the first time I was running a new thing for this particular group. And I just was not prepared for how hard they dived at evil because I very much specifically, I ran an evil campaign and I was done with it after the third, the third season. Like I, I just, <laughs> I, I, I will never, I will. I would be very hesitant to run a purely evil campaign ever again. Yeah, uh, not not in like a bad way. It's just there's a lot of reasons. It's hard. There's it's harder, and there's a lot of reasons as to why giving the party at least positive uh, a positive direction to move allows them to interact in the system. Like the system is set up to have a party that wants to do good. And I think that's, I, I, I think there is actually a good D and D reason as to why wizards of the coast have never like released. I mean, I guess they have, yeah. they released, um, what was it? It was the, uh, book of vile darkness, which was a evil basically campaign that, yeah. supplement. Yeah. Basically that. And they haven't since then because what it's not worth vile. Darkness. <laughs> no. But yeah, no, it, it is fun. <laughs> That like drowning a man over and over again and resurrecting him thing is one of those moments where I think I would start abusing the like every D&D resurrection has a, if the soul is available and willing. And it's like mm, this guy's he's done. Yeah. Like he's just yeah. not coming back this time. <laughs> I didn't want to allow them for other future mechanical reasons. To yeah. Allow them to say they couldn't be resurrected. That's that fair, was what yeah. I did. And it was one of those things where it's like I I didn't want to. <sighs> 
there was there was things I had a plan for, and I was like trying to balance as to why I agree with you entirely. Oh, there, like there's I your say, problem. Yeah. You're DMing and you're yeah. planning. It's a hundred percent what happened. <laughs> and the 100% is like this was like this was like two episodes in, and I was like, ah, maybe I didn't think through all the consequences, <laughs> which is Revit Gothica in a nutshell. And you know what? I'm actually genuinely proud of the campaign all the same. You know, it's it's one of those things where it's like I'm not going to say that it was my, the best thing I've ever run in my entire life, but I definitely will also say it's like something that taught me more about DMing than I could possibly imagine. For sure. That's awesome. Well, speaking of things that have taught oh, us about great. DMing more than we can possibly imagine, Chris, what's your next story? Since like most of the stuff that I do when I DM is based off the things that you've done. <laughs> uh, yeah, so mine's actually set in a brand new campaign I just recently started <laughs> uh, where, you know, we wrapped up like a eight year long crazy cult campaign. Oh, yeah. And so we're starting fresh, low level, uh, just doing it in like a spell jam. I like how casually you said, just, you know, just an eight year long cult campaign. (laughs) (laughs) So fucking years. I cannot, I sorry, I've never run anything that long. So I am like, again, it's also like running Tiamat. If you're going to run an eight year campaign, you you basically have to have Tiamat. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Dude, I joined this campaign, what, like four years ago now, Chris? And I joined it at level 15. Jesus, titty fucking Christ. I, yeah, this is a game Chris has been running. I think they for. ended up being like level 22. At I, the I end. can't possibly <laughs> imagine walking into a, like a plus 12 level party. That's insane, you know? Because, like, I don't know. Yep. Yeah. As, yeah, as an evocation Chris, wizard. Game you're running. So it, was, it was good times. Yeah, well, Chris, this is a game you're running for like, uh, it was for high school friends? Uh, people went to university with. Gotcha. Yeah, so it's been, it's one of those games where it's like, you know, it, it, like this wasn't I know Mike, Chris and I have run games where like out of Toronto D&D or like kind of people we meet in the gaming community. But this is one of those campaigns where it's like amongst friends. And I think those can last quite a bit. So eight years. Yeah, that's a long time. Uh, but yeah, so the new setting is uh, we started brand new. We did uh, quiet years of session zero. And then uh, so everyone's on a big flying space rock. And I told them like this is going to be kind of like a much more like neutral, like space pirate story. Uh, like no one's going to be the hero that saves the world in this one. This is you guys like start off with a massive amount of crime debt that you have to get out of. Um, and so I kicked things off with, uh, running, uh, one of the adventures out of the new, uh, D and D module, the keys from the golden vault, which is just full of heists. And I love heists. I've never run one before. Uh, but I love the way this book is laid out because it just has like really detailed like floor plans, emergency lockdown procedures, like guard routes and stuff like that. So it always kind of makes sense. And there's no like guidance on what to do. It's just like, get this thing. Here's like a functioning building that has all these rules. Figure it out. So uh, this one, essentially, the plot is that they have to break into a prison to get a key from someone who's incarcerated there. Uh, and then ideally escape undetected and they kind of get like, you know, a rough map of the prison and they have the option. They can either sneak in as guards or cooks, uh, will it be smuggled in by their contact? And so, you know, they go there, it goes pretty well. Uh, like on, they went for an early round day one and kind of managed to skip a huge chunk of like finding a way to talk to the prisoner without the warden knowing what they're talking about. And the first time I've actually seen someone use thieves can't efficiently. <laughs> That'd be me. 
Yeah. I, lo- I love how people yeah. always have like different ideas of what Thieves Cant is when they approach a campaign. And like no one ever directly talks about it until like you need it. And then you're like, you have to explain like, no, it's not that. <laughs> yeah, no, I very much like <laughs> said very long sentences that were vaguely related to things that had the words in them that I wanted. And then I was like, so what I actually was saying in that message was this. And I did that for like a whole conversation. It was great. Yeah, one of the big like difficulties is like if you arrange to meet the prisoner, then of course the warden and the guards are in the room with you, so you can't just ask her for the key. Uh, so he did that in the whole conversation. Thieves can't. I'm like, well, this person is like a crime family head, so yeah, they'd know it. I'm imagining a player trying to do something in Thieves Can't and then going like the DM saying no and then going like, why not? And then the DM going, it's Thieves Can't, not Thieves Can't. <laughs> no, I, I always show them. I always show them like the the clip from Dune where Lady Jessica's in the room and uh, there's the the lady that's presenting her the Chris knife. I don't know if you guys have watched it. Yeah. Anyways, but then she like does her hands, the hand motions. And she's and it, it shows subtitles of what she's saying. I always show that as like thieves can, you know, yeah. it's like you can, you know, very discreetly communicate, but also very simply you know i don't know it's it's one of the things where it's like i've seen thieves can't run about 15 different ways so it depends on what you want you know what i mean (laughs) i had i had a dm who only ran it as like a series of symbols and they gave me the thieves can't symbols and i and that that was the most it was not cool (laughs) no yeah this was very much just like a me (laughs) saying a sentence that sounded like it could be a nonchalant like everyday thing but then being yeah. like these words from that are what I was actually saying. And I had different. See, that's way more fun where you're trying yeah. to like make the sentence sound like it. And you guys are like working back and forth together. And let's be honest, you're not going to fail them like too easily on that. Like you're, you're going to probably give them some space to work through it. But like, yeah, it's, it's still a cool. I think that's like such a cool thing where you you're still adding you're making thieves can't not an automatic thing. And I think that's the thing is like players don't value things they don't have to work for. Yeah. And it's, and, and sorry, that's like that's you know maybe another thing that I'm gonna I'm gonna get in trouble <laughs> for, but like it's like I was like you know they don't they need to work for it, and it's like one of those things. It's like if you have automatic abilities, like my the thing I hate the most is when a player is like in a game and he's like I hit the guy with the axe and I rolled the things and he did twelve damage and he walks away from it. I was like, okay, no, give me, give me like give me more than that. Like, what are you, what are you doing? What are you swinging at? What are you doing? I'll give you more stuff. You know, like if yeah. you tell me and you describe it coolly, like I'm going to like, I may just put a couple points of damage on that. You know, I don't know. Like, it's one of those things where it's like, it's how you bring your players out and make them start to like engage with description, which is always the way to do it. Like the way for every other player to enjoy your turn as a player is to like, start describing it and people pay attention yeah. it's one of those things where you like end up oh yeah and you, st- you start and this is the thing too it's like i i know there are D players out there that like love mechanical play like they love to break the system and pull it apart and i think i have a lot of people in my game that love breaking my own systems i i actually this is not a thing i don't i don't not know that i i have confirmed that anyways the <laughs> the point is is like you know you have these systems versus role play and i think that you know, if I'm going to just do systems, I'm, I'd rather go break. Wow. Yeah. Than like the TTRPG. I'm, yeah. I'm here to role play. And I think that's. Well, that's why I like the, the heist is because they're really like, it's 90% role play. Cause it's all like, if, if they got into combat, they were screwed. Cause they were all level three. 
and the prison was had like 50 CR3 veterans as guards. The warden was like uh, an eighth level spellcaster. There was like a giant riot golem, and then like two higher <laughs> level like CR5 captains. Oh man! <laughs> so it's very obvious you cannot get fight. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I was like perfectly willing to let them, uh, <laughs> you know, get away with a little bit of sneaky thieves can't because there's still enough problems for them to talk their way out of. And they came into it. Yeah. So this was like the. Fr- this was like the first day. They're just kind of setting up and scouting around. Yeah, so that was like they went to the prison two days early before their job started to essentially do this interview with just a couple of them, then came back disguised uh, as guards and cooks. So most of them are guards, two of them were in the kitchen, and they had a pretty good plot to essentially poison like a bunch of the guards to cause like a rotation and use the chaos of that to like break this person out. Uh, ended up not happening because turns out the person in the prison doesn't want to be broken out. They want a ledger inside the warden's office they have to steal. Um, I do like as they asked their, like, they had, like, a crime contact who set them up with a job. And they're like, can you get us, like, a poison? Like, it doesn't kill people. It's just going to make them, like, really, really sick for, like, for like 50 people. And so there's, like, this sneaky, like, Kenku guy uh, just goes and, like, he takes a bottle that says one dose of lethal poison, crosses <laughs> out, and just writes 50 doses of non-lethal poison. <laughs> that was about right it was like yeah you know it's just less poison (laughs) um so yeah they had a whole plan where they like they used another prisoner to cause a distraction successfully passed all their stealth to like steal the book got to the prisoner got the key uh everything was working out and it was the final night they've been in the prison for four days just like working and the staff are starting to get suspicious because they noticed the ledger was missing. Uh, and fortunately, Mike, who was the one who stole it, had the good foresight to ditch it in the supply room because they searched everybody uh, the next day because they knew only a guard could have stolen it. <laughs> and it seemed like they were so close to escaping scot-free. It was the night of they were going to like leave because uh, they had two options, either take an elevator down a cliff face or uh, signal airship from the roof. And it's a good thing that they did. Uh, so they're sneaking up nighttime. Everyone passes their stealth checks. Two people are left in the guard barracks. And then one of the players rolls like a six in his stealth. So I'm like, all right. One of the guards wakes up. He's like, hey, man, what, what's going on? And he's like, oh, like, I was just going to head to the roof to take a leak, which is a reasonable thing to say just because the latrines were actually on the other side of the prison. And I was like, all right, roll, roll deception. Gets a seven. The guy's like, you know we're not allowed to do that, man. Like, just go to the bathroom like everyone else. And it's like, I just gotta go up there. I like... I like how they're not allowed to do that. There's a rule that says, like, no pissing on the roof. <laughs> and then, this is the moment where, like, the rest of the party died inside. Because he was scrambling to think of a reason to go upstairs. He's like, I heard a noise on the roof. And meanwhile, four of the party members are on the roof with their gear ready to escape. And we so already passed like, our oh, fucking okay, self checks and we're on the roof. <laughs> and everyone's like, no, 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 don't bring it up here. So our remaining player who is also still in the garbage is like, yeah, all, all three of us will go. Kind of like hinting, like, we're going to just jump the sky. Um, it goes kind of okay. They knocked it. They beat the shit out of him. But then as they signal for the ship to leave, because the guards are on alert, uh, like the whole prison just starts coming. You know, it goes on lockdown. And it was just like the most perfect ending to a heist where they put like cast grease in the stairs. They filled it up with like rubble to slow people down. 
Oh yeah, it was so perfect because it's like a narrow like spiral staircase up to the roof, and so they're just like holding off like waves of these guards coming out. Uh, eventually, there's a point where like you know there's some struggle, and like all the boxes just explode outwards because uh, the warden is finally there, whose room is right below the roof, and just fireball blew it up. Uh, and so like they were so close to dead when the ship finally arrived for them, and it was just like the most hectic thing. So they even had like uh. It's like a TV to display it, so there's like red flashing lights and like intense music playing. As there's like we're at really low health here, like where's the ship? <laughs> <laughs> and it was like rounds away as we're on the roof, like just trying not to die. I think my favorite bit of that though that you forgot was uh, so there was two grease spells on the stairs, but then also somebody had cast a moonbeam in a perfect cylinder on the stairs. Oh my God. <laughs> so everybody was just falling and slipping and dying <laughs> yeah, in the moonbeam on the way up. Right. I. I think that like for me, like it's one of those things where it's like my favorite moments are definitely when players it's 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 hard as a DM to plan, 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 and then immediately realize that your favorite moments in D in D and D are when a player like comes up with just an absolutely insane idea that just works out for them. You know, that and that's that's my favorite thing. It's like you make them roll, you're like it's not going to work. Come on, what are you doing? You kind of even say it as a DM <laughs> and then it works and you're like, "Well, damn." Yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I think I think that was the moment we realized so when there's two like people that play in an online game with us that are in this this campaign that are like high school friends of a couple of the other guys. This is the moment we realized that one of them just does not think well under pressure. Like he's trying to stealth up to the roof where he knows four of his party members are. He gets caught and his first instinct is, oh, I heard a noise up there. And the other guy's like, oh, should we raise the alarm? Like, what's going on? And he's like, no, 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 no. Uh, it's just it was so funny. We're all like, fucking what? That's your answer? Really? <laughs> you heard a noise on the roof, you asshole? Like, yeah, come well, on. They all survived. And so it's a good kickoff to a yeah. good spell jam campaign is now they're wanted criminals. <laughs> Yeah, I spell, cannot wait. Spell jammer is one thing. Have you guys liked running spell jammer? Yeah. Are you running like D and D five e spell like, jammer? I, I like it so far. I'm very like it. new into it. Like I haven't gone super into space. Uh, but like I watched like the like the actual official D and D campaign they put out when spell jammer came out. I thought it was just really fun and cool. Just like classic, you know, like very like one shot yeah. kind of adventures with some lingering like returning pirate villains. Just that kind of like every day, like you take the ship somewhere crazy. Yeah. There's something wacky going on. No, I, I, I think this sp- spell jammer as a, as a, as a text is amazing. And I think it's one of those things where it's like, I'm so excited that they brought it back a little bit. Uh, yeah. Difficulties aside with like developing the product, but like, it's one of those things where it's like, I'm, I'm sitting here and it's, it's one of those things where like, I'm a dragon Lance bitch and I have this <laughs> new dragon Lance module here. And I don't want to be a pedantic ass motherfucker, but like it's hard <laughs> not to be and talk about the things that they may have gotten wrong in Dragonlands because yeah. they're trying to make the campaign. It's funny to me that like it's like my I have I have a bunch of people that want to play a Dragonlance. They're like, Jack. I want you to play Dragonlance because you won't shut the fuck up about Dragonlance. <laughs> I want you to be my DM. If I ever wanted a Dragonlance DM, I wanted you to be it. And I'm like, yeah, but I can't run the module because it's just wrong. And I'm like, I was like, oh, that's 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 one of those moments where I'm like, I'm like a real 
I'm I'm gonna be honest with you guys. I, I like if you if you've learned anything about me, I'm open to self criticism. And my self criticism, <laughs> I'm like, if you're gonna make me run Dragonlance, I'm gonna be a bitch. <laughs> Dragonlance is a really defined metric, and I can tell you what happened in ABBYO thirty two oh one. Yeah, I'm just I'm so sorry. Like yeah, I'm so. I, which is which is a, a incredibly. It's one of those things where it's like. I do not want to run anything Dragonlance because I know the history of Dragonlance and it's the opposite yeah. of what I want. If I'm going to read a novel series, I want that to be well-defined and I want to engage with it. If I want to run a D&D campaign, I want as little as possible defined so that I can just run off in every direction with it. Yeah. Like that's the thing they're like, run, run Dragonlance. Yeah. And I'm like, no, I can't. <laughs> I mean, that's been the challenge of running a campaign in the Exandria. Is it 100%? Is that, like, my players know so much about critical role. Oh, that's rough. That's yeah. Rough. Critical, <laughs> critical role is just like Dragonlance. Like there are people out there that are just absolutely it, there's always and there's always somebody in your campaign that's better that has more knowledge than Oh, a hundred percent. One of my players just knows everything about critical role and it, it it's yeah, it's, I think it it's, makes it I, difficult. I don't know. I think it's both good and bad. Like it definitely does make it difficult and it does kind of constrain right. the story in a way, but I think it's also cool to like as fans of the show and as fans of these things to kind of introduce or like to be in that scenario, like uh, as part of the last oh, thing, a hundred percent, like yeah, one, it's, it's one of our very, players yeah. put on the hand yeah. of Vecna um, and we were able to like cut it off and then they died. And then uh, basically my character decided to just grab them, teleport us to um, I believe Whitestone and, and Whitestone basically like yeah. engage Vox Machina with like <laughs> here, like help us and like, this artifact's too powerful for us. Like, and if I didn't have the knowledge of critical role, like I wouldn't have thought to like, I'm going to go give this to Vox Machina. So it's kind of cool to interact. Yeah. That character's backstory yeah. is that they which, worked for the family. Which, yeah. And, and this is the metagaming issue yeah. too. Right. You know what I mean? Like it's well, one of those things where it's like, I, I hate and Revan Gothica, how metagamey my, my players have become. At the same time, like so, I've thrown a lot at them, yeah. you know what I mean? Like it's hard for me as a DM to say, I need you guys to meta game and maybe role play more versus the fact that I've thrown a really difficult campaign at them. And it's like they've learned from me. And by the time I realized that they were learning from me to meta game this so hard, it's hard for me yeah. to be like, stop that. You know, because like <laughs> I am the one that taught them to do and if That's a that's a relationship between. Sorry, I, I you could really honestly like one of the things I'm taking away. And I don't want to like <laughs> I came on here to promote my podcast versus like say no. But like one of the things I think is like you can really take away from my what happened as like a really interesting take on like player versus DM fighting because like i really gave them impossible scenarios and said here's a life or death mechanic that can allow you to do it and, and they played to it but also the 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 negative downside is over the course of 40 episodes they now like really don't <laughs> trust me in a way i'm not comfortable with <laughs> which is i think the only way to run a dark soul style mechanic you, you like the like the person running the game cannot be trusted the person that gives a person in dark souls blight town is not trusted that's that's a yeah. bottom line that's mechanic like the person that throws blight town at you like fuck that guy because i played dark souls over and over again my point is 
if you if you the the the, the guy that made blight town needs to die and that's that's okay like and then it's like that's the whole point of the mechanic and i think there's this weird relationship with it though though because you're the guy at the table and you, you try to do something similar and it really doesn't work out it really 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 doesn't work out and it's it's a very difficult relationship to manage and it's something i tried and i and at the end of the day i think i failed i think i did something interesting though and it's a really good example of like the ways to attempt this yeah i think there's a there's always a balance to be struck and i think when it comes to like more darker campaigns because i do like more of that like horror dark gothic-y like i i enjoy those sorts of campaigns but i definitely do think oh man i I, all I had to do is pitch to my players gothic horror and they were like, oh, we're all going to come do it. And now they're in the middle of it and they're like, oh, I don't know who to trust. And I'm like, that's the point. That's the you whole know? point. Yeah. <laughs> that's the Welcome whole point. to gothic horror, friend. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it was, it was, it's exactly what they say. You know, they're like, they're like, I don't check. There's nobody I can trust in this campaign. And I'm like, really? Like you're that was a. and and i don't want to be a dm that like is not unsympathetic i think it's like one of those things where it's like my players are going through it you know they they are they're 100 percent going through it and it's it's still difficult to like kind of manage to some extent and i think that's that's i think this is where like the campaign like i like i was saying like i like those sorts of campaigns i like the darker heavier kind of edgier stuff but uh, i think with those campaigns comes this notion of a little bit more grindy, a little bit more oppressive, a little bit more on edge. I think it's yeah. just the nature of, yeah. of that sort of style yeah. of campaigning, which some people like, some people don't. But I know as a DM that that can be kind of difficult to run because it is a more oppressive, heavier. Um, it's definitely a more challenging uh, setting to, I think, run in. Yeah, it's hard to keep the player yeah, trusted, sure. you said. Yeah, I think I think that's it's the balance, right? And it's all and the weird thing that you come back to is it's you come back to does this person trust you versus another person? And I think that's where it really comes back to it. It's one of those things where it's like, I think the season three versus season five of of PvP trusted me more. Season three, I had. Trevor, Ed, and Tanner, who are like lifelong friends who really, really trust me. Season five are people who don't know me quite as well. They're very nice people and I love them. I die for them, but they don't know me quite as well as like, you know, Trevor, who's known me for 15 years you yeah. know what i mean as like a dnd person it's like it's a difference you know it's a difference in trust and where you start and it's one of those things where it's like you know i could push him in more ways and i think that's always the struggle as a dm and this is a we're talking about as a dm as a on this podcast and it's one of those things where i'm like you know it is really who you have in the thing and it's like it and that's like the complicated dnd at all times it's like who do you have in your group who is who trusts you who doesn't trust you and i think that really depends on like what you can run with them like i think anything is possible yeah. with the right group but and i think like, on, on this time, podcast like, like we've, yeah. we've had some like uh kind of quick start guides for dms and our first like six episodes talk about some of that mm. like 
Yeah. Oh my god, I need to go see those. You gotta give me the number for that. I really want to see that. So I'm I'm we, I'm we, fascinated we, by the we, world we, of we advocate. Guides. It's just kind of this like episodes one to six about like uh homebrew versus you know running a module, where to find players, how to find players, different types of players. So I think it's important that like as a group, uh, you know, we always advocate for like session zeros and setting expectations. And even like midway through the campaigns, like sometimes Mike will sit with us and be like all right, how are you guys feeling? Are we going again? We want to switch up characters. What's like, we kind of do those, those check-ins and uh, like, think that's important in terms of kind of keeping the group in alignment. Cause I think over the course of a campaign, uh, like you said, sometimes that, that trust gets built. Sometimes the trust gets kind of deteriorated in certain points. Sometimes expectations change. So I think it's always good to kind of reset those. It, and, and I think it's one of those things as a DM, you expect trust and you did to deteriorate at points and come back at points and i think that's one thing i i think that i've come back around to is like there are ways to earn back players trust through stupid or or just friendly characters (laughs) honestly like Like, (laughs) there have been times too where where in my campaigns like over the course of a while like there have been npcs who kind of either backstab or turn on them so they've come to expect that at certain points where there are times now where i'll just throw a really friendly npc who's just they're just a friendly person there's no ulterior motive there's of course the characters are a little suspicious and on edge sometimes but i think that's something as a dm you get to play with too is that notion of that notion of trust like even in character um and once in a while even in i think a dark campaign just having somebody who like meeting somebody who, yeah, who just kind of person. Gets, like is able to rise above it and is actually helpful and doesn't even have to be friendly, but just helpful and, uh, you know, just different. And yeah. the players might be able to recognize that. Yeah. Let me sure. tell you, if I have learned a single lesson in Revan Gothica, my entire campaign, 40 plus episodes, it is that like you can't just have you can't just have people with ulterior motives. You really just genuinely have to have like a perfect person in there. Yeah. You can't have all the dark to, like run into them. Yeah. Yeah. And it's one of the, my, my, my favorite thing is like live fucked. Like, sorry, apologies. Like she, like there was this, there was this, uh, f- there's this town of Farrington based on a town in North Carolina where I live. Uh, and it's, it's this really funny concept where like I just based it off there and then there's this friar there who's like managing the town and his whole thing is that he's a cardinal beast, which is to say that like the world is built around this concept where this, you know, from the previous, like the way I ran my campaign is that we have from the third season, there was this thing where they killed each other, the two players, and then I used them as gods in this new campaign in the fifth season hmm. where we had the two players that killed each other. By the way, one of them is still a player in the campaign. <laughs> and he has to, he has to deal with the character. Being a God and a character. Yeah. yeah. It's his character. Well, I don't let him act for himself. It's 10,000 years in between. So like I, I've used that as an excuse to say that this, he has changed in the context because he's in, in fairness, he was in an evil campaign and he became a lich and murdered a town for like no reason. Just, just to become a lich. My, the thing, the the moment where I, I realized, and, and that's, 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 you know, that's the pen and paper pod to a T. Is like, you know, has Jack lost control? The answer is yes. 
Um, (laughs) no, it's, it's one of those things where I like, you know, he, he took the book of vile darkness. He learned how to cast meteor and then he went and cast meteor on a random town Mm -hmm. and he was a villain. And it's one of those things where it's like, I have, this is why I will never run a villains campaign ever again is because a person horrified me and I can't deal with it. (laughs) Like it's one of those things. Yeah. And that happens and it's okay. And it's a learning experience, but it's one of those things where, you know, he did this and moved on to this new campaign. And now I have his old character as a villain. And it, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, I Tanner's the best because he completely accepts the ways in which I've changed the character but it is this tension that exists and uh it's one of those things between life and death between the previous campaigns and they're fighting between it right now and i think it's really going to be interesting to see what they do because it really is open to them at this point and i don't know what they're gonna do and that kind of <laughs> excites me and that's the whole reason i play D, you know what i mean you yeah, know because sure. like because like i've set up this notion where you know, in a previous campaign, and they all basically listen to the previous campaign. So they know what happened. They know that like Tanner and Trevor had a disagreement and Trevor destroyed the whole world and became a god of death. And now it's this notion of between this lich and this god of death and they're in between it and they now have to deal with it. And it's <laughs> for sure. It's cool. I'm going to have to get to add. I was go gonna say, I'm going to have to go back and check all that stuff out for sure. Uh, I've listened to the first no, no, couple no. that Scott brought you on, but uh, I, I honestly like it sounds super intriguing. I recommend you wait for me to remaster it for the podcast because that's <laughs> what I do. All right, cool. Because let me good. tell you, I, I we we really everything out right now for the fifth season is all on Twitch and it's like Sweet. video format. But uh, I, I do a pretty good at remastering for our D and D feed, and I'm actually in the process of still remastering our third season, which tells you how many people we have editing our podcast and how small <laughs> yeah, we are. Just, but it's cool. That's yeah, it's man. just me. It's just it's just my ass, yeah. which is you know, I love it. I'm I'm I, I will die before I finish uh remastering all the previous seasons though. So they will come out. For sure. Well thank you so much for coming on man. It was been a pleasure talking with you. Uh we love chatting with other DMs and sharing these kind of moments. Um we really appreciate you taking the time to come out and chat with us. Uh, we'll include all your links and whatnot in all the show notes. Uh, but for those that are listening who want to check you out right now, where can they find you? Like, uh, where, where can they hit you up? No, thanks for the push, man. Uh, yeah, it's a uh, pen and paper pod. Uh, I would recommend going to our link tree. So if you actually go to our Twitter, which is to say uh, at pen and paper pod, you can find us all over the internet uh we are on twitter we are on uh youtube we're on twitch uh, pretty much every platform yeah twitch is the primary thing where we stream now so that's our newest content we stream on tuesday oh god you guys are really just you you guys are helping me out here i really i love it thank you so much you guys you guys got your push down i really appreciate that you you guys got it better than me i i I have to push players to do this and you guys are like push me and i'm like oh man guys i'm the dm come on stop it no i was like it was one of those things like i love it no we're uh, every we're streaming every thursday at 8 30 but that's subject to change our final episode of season five will be on uh 
it's going to be on June 8th is currently the time slot that we have. So we're not going to air until that time period. And that will be the last episode of season five. And then we're looking to build a new campaign after that with new players. Yeah. So that was twitch.tv slash pen and paper pod. And that was, you said uh, Thursdays. Thursdays at 8.30 p.m. Sweet. Eastern Standard Time, which is the only thing I remember to add to our Twitter. So it's fine. (laughs) It's always EST. That's what you got to do. Sweet. So if you guys want to chat with Jack at the people at Pen and Paper, you can hit him up there. Uh, If you want to uh, slide into a DMs DMs, you can hit us up on Twitter, Insta, Facebook, or TikTok at DMs Discuss, or via email at DMsDiscuss at gmail.com. Also, you don't need an ancient five-headed dragon prophecy to find new episodes of our show. Simply look for us in your favorite podcatcher app. Yeah, and as always, check the show notes. We'll link all of uh, Jack and Pen and Paper Pod stuff uh, in there. And uh, we'll catch you after a long rest in Revan Gothico. <laughs>